Hey, I'm Will. I'm Savannah. And we're the cause. We're bringing you worship this morning, um, wherever you're at. Um, we're still social distance, distancing, so um, we just ask that you come in, worship with us, uh, and um, let's bring it in together this morning. Um, yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this time of worship, and um, we ask that you pour into it uh, your wisdom and your guidance in this time. Um, we pray for the people of the church and the people that are struggling most from this disease, and um, and we just ask for your guidance during this time. Um, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Bless the Lord, my 
is in the hands of 
Hey, good morning, friends. Uh, here we are at Avila Beach, bringing an opportunity to you so that you can spend some time with God in His Word, thinking, processing as to what it looks like for us to follow Jesus in these really unique and unprecedented times. Uh, we're going to have a moment to study the scriptures, specifically the Psalms, uh, as I walk along the beach and open up God's Word and process and think through what it means to follow Jesus in moments like we find ourselves. Uh, just take a moment to breathe in to consider the beauty of what we find ourselves surrounded by, uh, the crashing of the waves, the beauty of the morning, all that is right here. Uh, it's a moment to pause, to reflect, to think about the goodness of God. And uh, yes, so grab a Bible, open up to Psalm 3, and we'll get to there in just a moment. unprecedented moments when things get really tough and challenging one of the things that we find as human beings uh, hard to grasp for are words to process um, this oftentimes allow, causes us to turn to all sorts of other means um, to try to process to deal with life's challenges and unprecedented moments um, the Psalms actually create a really unique um, vocabulary or book that allows us to be equipped with words from God to process life's difficulties and hardships. Um, last week, we started a series in the book of Psalms, and we're going to continue in the Psalms now throughout the entire summer, actually. Um, so think of it this way. For about 150 days or plus, we are going to come and spend some time reading the Psalms and really trying to understand. So the game plan for you as a follower of Jesus is to read a psalm a day. Um, on our website, calvaryso.com, we have a whole uh, study guide uh, that will be a resource for you. The hope is to equip you to begin to follow Jesus day to day. And if you want to think of it this way, what we're inviting you into are two main rhythms. Number one is a daily rhythm. Two is a weekly rhythm. So the daily rhythm will look like you spending some time in the morning, in the evening, whatever works best for you, reading a psalm. We'll have that all laid out for you in the resource guide that's on our website. Uh, number two is to take a moment to just pause, reflect, to pray, to consider the goodness of God, to take a look at the beauty of creation all around you and to listen to the sights and, or listen to the sounds and take in the sights of all that is available for us. And then also, if you'd like, we have a community of people that are meeting every single day as a church community to pray. So that's daily rhythms. Secondly, our weekly rhythms. And we have weekly gatherings. And what we would like to invite you into is uh, either finding a group that's on our website or forming a group. Uh, the second thing is to follow along with the content that we have, as I just kind of referenced. And then the third thing is gathering with us on Sunday morning, like what you're doing right now, or sometime throughout the day Sunday. So we go live at around 1030, uh, but we will also have that available throughout the day. And the idea behind that is each week we will have a psalm that will be taught. So the game plan is every single day, 
you'll have a moment to read the psalm. And every Sunday, out of that duration of seven psalms that you've just read throughout the week, a psalm will be taught and then provided as a means for you to continue to reflect and think about it. So what I want to do right now is I want to take a moment and think about the psalm that we're going to look at here this morning. And it's going to be Psalm 3. But before I get to that, I want to cast a little bit of a bigger picture as to what the psalms are all about. The first two psalms in the Bible actually open and kind of present kind of a gateway to the rest of the psalms. Psalm 1 kind of asks the question, if you think of it this way, or to put it into a question mode, um, what does it look like for an individual human being to really flourish, to really be alive? Psalm 2 is kind of a question of what does it look like for a nation to flourish? Um, Why does it even suggest that? Well, obvious answer is because human beings, we're prone towards death. We are oftentimes prone towards uh, vulnerability and oftentimes creating chaos for the lives of other people. Second thing we also recognize the same is true with regard to nations. Not every nation is a godly nation, right? But the point of the matter is someone attempts to answer that question by saying those that delight in the law of God, those that meditate upon God are those that will be like a tree, like the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Psalm 2 addresses the reality of nations that if a nation meditates on what it looks like to get rid of God, it will go down a path of destruction. The middle part of that psalm basically addresses the fact that God sits in the heavens and it's like he laughs, he recognizes you can't thwart God's plans. But the psalm closes, Psalm 2, with basically um, a beatitude. And it says, blessed are those that take refuge in God. So I see it as an invitation to receive the language from God of meditating upon him, upon taking refuge in him, and then beginning to live our lives in accordance with how God has sought to set up life. So that brings us to Psalm 3. So Psalm 3 is sort of a psalm. If you open your Bibles to that psalm, you can uh, either stand if you'd like. I'm going to read that passage right now, and I'm just going to make a couple comments, and then we will close and create some space and opportunity for you to dig a little bit deeper. So Psalm 3 is a psalm that at the beginning of it says something to the effect of a psalm of David when he was fleeing from Absalom, his son. I'm just going to read it. I'll make a couple comments and then we'll just talk a little bit about this. It says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and I slept and I woke again for the Lord has sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break break the teeth of the wicked. Then he finishes with this final statement. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. David wrote this, it's presumed to be during a time of his life when he was running from his son, um, Absalom. His son basically revolted against him. Um, what's unique about David is that David is a guy that, um, what was one of the reasons why I love the Bible, is the Bible presents the characters that are in its storyline as being deeply flawed. There's really no heroes throughout the entire Bible except for one, obviously Jesus. 
Um, and if we look to the lives of some of these other characters for moral guidance, uh, we're going to be sorely disappointed and mis- misled. So David's one of those guys that's deeply flawed, and yet the Bible describes him as a man that has a heart after God. And we begin to see a little bit of that in David's life in this particular psalm, is that David recognizes that in the midst of what's happening in terms of crisis and breakdown in his life, uh, the storyline is something along the lines of his son is out to overthrow David's reign. Um, there's been this major rift in the family line of David with, uh, out, without going into all the backstory with regard to that. But David finds himself fleeing for his life and in a state of running, like exile. Um, and there's an army literally encamped against David, attempting to destroy him. And David's reflecting upon this reality and processing it and making, trying to make sense of it. And he starts the psalm again just with this phrase. He says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, and many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And what the psalm starts off by doing is it addresses the very, the very center of his fears. And this is an important element with regard to life. Many of us, especially right now in the season which we find ourselves uh, facing all sorts of fears. But what David does is he addresses the fear. He pinpoints it. But there's a fear, but then there's a fear beneath the fear. And the fear, the initial fear, is there's thousands of people that are in revolt against David. But then there's a fear beneath the fear that David addresses even further, which I'll get to in just a moment, where he recognizes that in the midst of this life that he's finding himself in a moment of conflict, that what people are saying is the narrative, the propaganda. There's no hope for David. David has failed. God has forsaken David. There's no future for David. His life is over. His life is washed up. And there is no hope at all for this guy. And so David's reflecting upon this. Have you ever been in a moment like that in your life where things have been stacked against you, where you've just found yourself at sort of an existential crisis of like, what is my future? And it might not just simply be uh, external challenges or hardships that you face. It might be the propaganda that you are believing or hearing about you, the lies, the, the lies that you tell yourself, the lies that are being spoken about you the rumors that might be circulating. But the point of the matter is, at some point, those things cut to the very core of who we are because they begin to raise the question of who am I as a human being? And this was no doubt the issue that David himself was facing in this very moment. But I want you to listen to, number one, what David does is he addresses, he identifies the very source of his fears. So for us to move forward as human beings in processing with God is really begin to identify what are the fears that are plaguing you, that are causing you anxiety or difficulty or hardship right now. But then to think even deeper, what are the fears beneath those fears? And that's what we see that David is addressing. Now listen to how David kind of goes on to identify this or remove himself from this, but then also then to bring himself to a place of hope. And again, God is using all of these measures and these words to help him process, ultimately to bring about his heart in deeper alignment with God himself. Listen to what David says. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. And I want to just focus on those three things and I'm done. So number one, he identifies that God is a shield about me. So I was thinking about a shield. A shield 
is something that you pick up not to remove yourself from conflict. In fact, the only reason why you pick up a shield is because you know you are in the midst of conflict. And this presents a problem for us as Americans. Many of us as Americans, we want to be removed from the conflict. And many of us have adopted, I think, a false understanding of what Christianity is all about that says, if you trust God, you won't have conflict. If you give your life to Jesus, your life will somehow be better. Uh, in other words, suffering is something that we don't really have a robust theology for. And I would suggest that's, that's not healthy for us as human beings. It doesn't lead us towards a place of thriving. A better way of approaching it is what does it look like to suffer well or to process grief or loss or hardship? And what David recognizes is that, God, you are a shield about me. David presupposes, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to face these moments of existential crisis. But God, you are the one that will be a shield about me in the midst of this hardship. The second thing that David goes on to say is he says, not only are you a shield about me, but you are my glory. What does this mean? So the word glory is an interesting word. Um, in the Old Testament, it is the Hebrew word kovad. And there are multiple ways in which this particular word gets utilized. But think of it as a word that identifies something that involves heaviness or weightiness. That's the big idea. Um, pun intended there. In fact, there's a king by the name of Eglon in the Old Testament. He's actually described as, as kovad, meaning he's just weighty. He's a big, fat, oversized dude. Um, and this is the word that's used there. And so what David is identifying is that as a king, as a father, as a national leader, all of these things were things that David no doubt placed as his kovad. We would use the word reputation. And David says, all of these things that were part of my reputation, part of my glory, are literally washed up on the beach. They're failed. I'm running for my life. My own son, I failed as a father, is out to kill me. The very people that once served me are now believing the propaganda and the rumors that I'm washed up and I'm a failed human being. David recognizes his very kovad is gone. So he's really replacing, re-identifying the true source of his kovad. And this is where he says, God, you are my kovad. You are the source of my reputation, my life, my hope. This begins to bring about a path of healing. See, for many of us, we have misplaced our lives in alternative things, whether it be our reputation, our career, how successful we are as a mom or a dad or a business owner, or whatever it is that we do. But there are moments in our lives where we can't assess that anymore, or we can't access that anymore, especially in the moment that we find ourselves. And when we live in a place like that, we begin to ask those bigger questions. Who am I? Or let's say, for example, you've been a good parent and now your kids are all raised and gone from the house. Where's your identity now? Where's your glory? And so what David recognizes, my glory is you. And then this leads to the final thing. And then he says, and you're the lifter of my head. It just literally means that, that God, you're the head lifter. You are so full of beauty and glory and amazement that you cause me to stop what I'm doing and to look up and to reflect upon you.
It's interesting because in the text, if you look at it again, again, listen to this. It says in verse 2, Many are saying in my soul, there is no salvation in him, in God. And he goes on to say, but you, O Lord, are shield about me, my glory, lift her in my head. And then in his final statement, he says, Selah. That word Selah means to stop and reflect, to pause, to just breathe in the moment, to look upon who God is. And this is what David is inviting us into. So the Psalms are not just simply a means to give you language or to help cure all your problems. It's helped to to give you vocabulary and language to process who you are as a human being and who you are in proximity and in relationship to God, the one who made you and loves you and has given himself for you. And what we see in David's life right here is this sense of coming back to, acknowledging that God, you are the glory about me. You are the one that lifts up my head. And as a result of that, David goes on to say, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. And this concludes with this final statement. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. So for many of us, in moments of crisis and chaos and unprecedented landscapes like we find ourselves today, dealing with a virus, an unseen enemy that we have no control over, along with emotions and inabilities to be able to do things that we want to be able to do but we can't do, family members we want to be able to hang out with but we can't, friends that we want to be able to spend time with but we are quarantined from, the question is, is, is who are we? And can we thrive? Can we survive? And I think the answer to that from the Psalms is absolutely. There is hope. There's this passage many passages I would even say in the Old Testament that describe the coming of God as like a sunrise where God's glory comes over the darkness and floods the earth with newness. This is the hope that the Psalms offer us. My hope for you in whatever state or condition or situation you find yourself right now would be to turn to the one that gave himself for you who loves you, who invites you to allow him to be your glory, the source of your life. So I'm not sure where you're at or how you even process this, but my hope would be that you would step into this relationship with God. As a church, our aim, and as a means of what we're doing here right now, our aim is really to to try to equip you with the tools to help you be a follower of Jesus, to press into who he is and what he has for you. So my hope now would be as you enter into some discussion time about this um, and into the week, that you would press into God, that you would create those rhythms in your life. Because if anything, what this whole season has taught us is that the consumeristic type of mentality of Christianity that has been part of the landscape of America has changed, at least for a moment. And the invitation for you as a follower of Jesus is to press in to take some ownership of your relationship with God and to seek Him, just like the ancients, like David and others, took time to pause, reflect upon the greatness of God. That's what I invite you into. Thanks for tuning in, listening, and taking a moment to reflect 
upon the Psalms with us. God bless you guys.